It's Monday, November 30th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Jason Moser. Good to see you. Good to see you. It is Merger Monday, sort of. We've yeah. got one deal in the making. We have another deal in the, let's call it, remaking. But we're going to start with Black Friday. In-store sales on Black Friday were 52% lower than a year ago. That should not surprise anyone. Online sales were up big. Also not a surprise. This actually did surprise me a little bit, though, Jason. Online sales on Friday in the United States made it the second biggest day ever for online sales. Cyber Monday last year is the biggest all time. Black Friday this year, second place. That might get bumped down to third place after this year's Cyber Monday. But what did you think of the reports you saw of Black Friday? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think you, you hit on something there in regard to today's Cyber Monday. I think you're right. Um, I mean, it, it, no surprise. I mean, online spending on Black Friday grew 21.6 percent. That was a new record. Um, it was around nine billion dollars worth of purchases uh, that were recorded. In in the forecast for today for Cyber Monday this year, it's um, slated it's 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 slated to become the largest digital sales day ever. Spending is is forecast to reach somewhere between 10.8 billion and 12.7 billion dollars. Uh, that would represent growth of 15 to 35 percent from last year. No surprise, really. There, um, I, I think to me, what really stood out, and again, not surprising, but still stood out because it's it's just pretty darn impressive. Uh, was was Shopify? Um, Shopify has his stock that obviously a lot of our listeners, a lot of our members and subscribers are all very familiar with. Um, and, and it's been a good year for Shopify's stock. Stock up around 175 percent. The numbers that they chalked up for Black Friday were really impressive. $2.4 billion in Black Friday sales. That was about 75% growth from last year. So, so clearly, uh, the investments they've been making in that business all along the way are, are paying off. And, and I think the thing, the neat thing there is because we, we could sit there and criticize Shopify, for example. Oh, I mean, it's overvalued or you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense because the business doesn't make that much money yet. That, that may be true. But these are the type of these are the types of numbers that will, I think, afford it some time. I think as long as they continue to record these types of numbers, the market is going to continue giving it uh, some wiggle room. There, we've seen it with Amazon. We've seen it certainly with Wayfair. I think in Shopify, I don't think it'll be any different. But there were some interesting numbers there within Shopify's report that I think are just worth noting. Average Black Friday cart price globally was just under ninety one dollars. That was up eleven percent from a year ago. So people spent a little bit more. Uh, in neat thing here in, in this mobile world, we always talk about how mobile. Uh, is really what's leading us forward. But mobile sales on Black Friday this year, if you look at the breakdown between mobile sales and desktop, it was 67% mobile versus 33% desktop. And last year, that was 69% mobile and 31% desktop. So the difference is, is you know marginal, but more people, it seems, were shopping on desktop this year for obvious reasons. And so it's just interesting to see that data, I think. But uh, yeah, it all goes back towards this uh, digital economy that we're witnessing, and um, it it's, it's, seems like it has a lot of traction, and I don't know that we're necessarily going to be going back anytime soon. 
I'm glad you mentioned Shopify because we have talked a lot about the big retailers like Walmart and Target in particular, the investments that they have made this year for curbside pickup, for delivery, all of that. Um, but worth, uh, as you said, pointing out uh, the investments that Shopify has made. Um, yeah. I, 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 and this is a stock that I do not own. I, I, I understand both sides of it. Um, it is definitely on my watch list. Haven't pulled the trigger yet, but but I I understand the concerns. I understand the you know around valuation, the lack of profitability, and maybe that's why we've seen the rise um, uh, that we've seen for Target and Walmart this year because those yeah. are just fundamentally I think a little easier for people to wrap their heads around. Um, but as you said, I mean, what what is the future going to be? Is it going? You know, uh, is it going to be well? Once all this is behind us, we're just going to start going back to the mall. No, I don't think so. I think it's going to be more online shopping, and to your point, more mobile shopping. I, I think you are. I think you're right there. Um, I, I've, I've I just continued to be impressed with with Wayfair, for example. The the mobile the mobile numbers that they continue to record are are really impressive, and that's that's furniture, man. I mean, like. People are shopping for furniture on their phones. Um, in, in regard to Shopify, I mean, I think when you when you look at the future, I, I don't think it's going to be one or the other. Um, I think, and we've talked about this before. Really, it, when we talk about Target and Walmart, I mean, it really is becoming about omnichannel, right? It's just meeting the consumer wherever the consumer wants to be met. And and the more that companies, the more that retailers are able to do this. Uh, they're going to be able to take advantage of the digital economy. They're going to be able to take advantage of of people wanting to actually physically go to stores. Um, and, and so I, I think you know the future is going to be a little bit of both. Uh, but certainly Shopify is is keying in on their specialty, and and I think more growth is going to be coming in in obviously that digital space. Shopify is, is absolutely one of the companies dictating the development of that space. And so even even next year, when I, I, I think it's probably safe to assume that, that we get a little bit more back to normal and in, in, in the, the, the in-person shopping experience is a little bit less risky, we'll see people wanting to get out. We'll see people wanting to go to stores and have fun with that experience. Uh, but but uh, that, that I don't think is going to really uh, deter people from shopping online. I mean, hopefully, I think ultimately what I'd love to see is just this whole Black Friday, Cyber Monday thing. I really like the fact that we're stretching it out to be just this whole month. So, it's not really about fewer sales. It's just about timing, right? We're just stretching it over the course of a month as opposed to really isolating it on on individual days. I, I'd like to see that continue to where these concepts, these retailers uh, are not just leveraged to a couple of particular days toward the end of the year. Just real quick before we move on to our next story. On that point, are you seeing this in your own personal life? Because I have, in the last week, Noticed that the promotional emails I get from different retailers are basically saying, "Hey, our Black Friday sale is gonna last for the next ten days." Like it's like you know, you get yeah. the the subject line in the email is Black Friday sale, and then you look, it's like, "Oh, this is actually going through December 9th. 
Yeah, I, I feel like I've seen a lot of that. I mean, I, just anecdotally, I do feel like I've seen a lot more of that. And I think that's that's the right thing to do. Again, I, it's just it's it's a bit of a different time, but but hopefully, as we've seen throughout this whole year, uh, th- this year has been an accelerator for change in a lot of good ways. And maybe this will be one more thing, one more change that we'll witness over the course of the coming uh, years. In, in uh, I, I think ultimately that would be a good thing. General Motors is no longer taking an equity stake in Nikola. I think this is the third time in the past five weeks we're talking about this deal because <laughs> the drama just continues. Um, it, so it's still going to be a fuel cell partnership between GM and Nikola. But in terms of significance, Jason, this is literally and figuratively a smaller deal. It's smaller in terms of the money, oh, yeah. and it's just in terms of potential outcomes, and by that I mean potential upside for both, it's a smaller deal. It's a much smaller deal, and uh, I think that ultimately is a good thing, probably for both companies, uh, definitely more so for GM. Um, it, it feels like this was the inevitable outcome. I think the real story here is that Nikola is still an $8 billion market cap company. Uh, to me, that's just amazing to think about, given the fact that they don't really make any money to speak of. Um, you don't want equity in a company like that, right? I mean, that, that's that's something where uh, you want to you want to maybe maybe partner up and and not be completely levered to their success. And in, in the previous deal, I think GM was going to take something like an eleven percent equity stake. I mean, eleven percent of nothing is still nothing. And at eight billion dollars, that's one thing. But eight billion dollars based on those sales, you got to at least think about that. So I think this puts GM in a much more transparent and lower risk position. Uh, the new deal is actually it's a non-binding memorandum of understanding with Nikola for global supply uh, to provide GM's Hydrotech fuel system for Nikola's class uh, seven eight semi trucks. So the key the key there to that to that long winded sentence I think is non-binding. Right, I think this really just kind of gives GM the opportunity to to dictate exactly how much they're going to participate in whatever potential upside there is with this. Um, it, it, Nikola will pay upfront for capital investment for the capacity. They'll discuss, uh, you know, potential of a supply agreement for more of GM's battery technology. Uh, so I, I think all in all, this this is a much more sensible way to go about it. I, I still. I mean, it's a very nascent market. We've seen we've seen Teslas talk about getting into this market as well. I think this is going to be a story that unfolds for a number of years. This entire market in, in these semi trucks. It just Nikola is a bit under the gun here. They need they need they need to produce something. They they need to demonstrate uh, that they can be sustainable here. Otherwise, you know, GM can just wash their hands of it and walk away. And ultimately, I think that's that's the right thing. The eight billion dollar market cap that you're talking about with Nikola, that is. That is after the 25% drop that yeah. is happening in the stock right now. Yeah. So coming it's, in I mean, today, it's, it's it's well you know it's north of, of a 10 billion dollar market cap, and uh, that stock's just getting pounded today. It and it and it should. I mean, I, I'm just I'm very surprised that that the market is still willing to 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 give this thing that type of credit. Uh, it just it seems like. I mean, I, we're in a market where I mean, valuations are clearly a big question mark, and so it, 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 you're going to see this kind of stuff play out here. Um, 
I, I yeah, I just I, I would encourage investors who are interested in Nikola be very very careful here because the, the fundamentals don't dictate what the market is paying up for this for this uh, stock today. And, and obviously, investing is all about the future. Uh, maybe Nikola's future looks a little bit brighter now that that GM isn't necessarily uh, stuck between a rock and a hard place. I, I don't know, but but man, they really need they really need to bring the goods in 2021, or I, I think eight billion dollars that that's going to be a, a distant memory. Salesforce.com is going to announce earnings on Tuesday after the market closes. And that is when Salesforce is also expected to announce the acquisition of Slack. This is reportedly a half-cash, half-stock deal. Uh, this started late last week, Jason, uh, on reports of this pending deal, and shares of Slack up 40% in the past week alone. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I never had a horse in this race. I mean, I never, I never owned the Slack, the stock. I never recommended it, um, and, and I've, I've never been impressed really with the platform or the business, to be honest. And, and that's that's probably why I've not uh, had a horse in this race, so to speak. Uh, to me, it, this really is the best outcome Slack bulls could ever hope for. It's just an opinion, but but that's that's there you go. Uh, I, I think it's safe to say that Slack needs Salesforce more than the other way around, far more than the other way around. And, and to me, it's very fascinating to see a company that decided the company decides to go the acquisition route so soon after getting onto the public markets. I mean, it's only been on the public markets for a little bit more than a year, and, and, and they're going to go ahead and accept the deal. I mean, that to me is is very telling. I mean, right now, Slack trading at somewhere in that forty two dollar range or whatever. Um, it, it was listed, I think, at thirty-eight dollars. That was it, it. Opened at thirty-eight dollars and fifty cents that first day. So basically, all of the gains that this stock has witnessed are, are due to this news. And and I think there are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, it, you know, when you look at the way that Slack has performed throughout its existence, its very short existence as a public life, it's just not been very. Impressive. I mean, they they were reporting total users for a stretch, then they stopped reporting those total users, kind of kind of trying to move move the goal line, so to speak, and change the way they define success. It, at the end of 2019, they had something in the neighborhood of 13 million uh, daily active users, I think it was. And you compare that to something like Microsoft and Teams, you you can sit there and criticize however Microsoft accounts for those users, but the fact is that Teams has 115 million users. And and I don't think Slack is anywhere close to that. And and then when you look at the actual numbers, I mean, management is forecasting sales growth for this current quarter of 32% versus 60% a year ago. And while you could argue that Slack is a software company and enjoys uh, robust margins, those margins disappear really quickly when com when competition eats up. So to me. I think the market's been trying to tell us something all along the way here with Slack is maybe, maybe it's not as 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 uh, as, as good of a story as, as some may have hoped. Um, I guess I guess we we shall see. I think it's a it's an interesting deal for Salesforce. I'm not sure exactly what they'll do with it. It's a big deal for Salesforce, um, yeah. just in terms of the market cap of of Slack, which right now is around 24 billion. I mean, Salesforce has made big acquisitions in the past. But those big acquisitions were more in the range of five to fifteen billion dollars. Yeah. Um, so this is this is a deal that is kind of on par with what we saw a few years back when Microsoft bought LinkedIn uh, for uh, that was somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty six, twenty seven billion dollars. So um, this this really kind of sets up 
uh, a Salesforce v. Microsoft battle. It it absolutely can. I think that's going to give. I think that's going to give Microsoft a little bit more uh, to pay attention to. I think Slack on its own wasn't really a very big threat for Microsoft. I think that was becoming very clear. Um, and to your point about about Salesforce acquisitions, yeah, I mean, you go back to 2018, they acquired MuleSoft for six and a half billion dollars. That was a data integration uh, company. And in 2019, they paid 15 billion dollars to acquire Tableau Software uh, to bring it more into that sort of digital transformation market. Um, if, if this deal is probably going to be somewhere in the 25 billion dollar range, um, give or take. And, and the nice thing for Salesforce, it sounds like it's going to be half shares, half cash, and, and they're able to use their share. Price um, when when it's it's you know, when when it, when it's been doing very well, so it's going to be sort of a, a cheap form of currency, and and I think that's that helps keep their their balance sheet I think in order there. Um, it, to me, again, I mean it it I the thing that made this made me immediately think of uh, I guess it was a couple of years ago. Remember when the rumor was going around that Salesforce might acquire Twitter? Yes. And and we all kind of looked at each other quizzically. We're like, "What? Really? Why? Why?" Yeah, we were exactly. all asking the same <laughs> one-word question: "Why?" Now, I don't. This doesn't make me ask that question "Why?" necessarily as much. I mean, I, I understand exactly. You know, I, I understand basically kind of what what Slack could do in in Salesforce's universe to be to be a, a you know better value creator but this this does remind me a lot of that period of time and Slack reminds me a lot of Twitter uh, it it just reminds me of a management team that has been very slow to iterate a service that is more or less the same thing it's always been since we've been using it and I, it, it's losing share to a much larger competitor, trying to reframe what their success looks like all along the way. So, so to me, this was kind of like a Twitter 2.0. Slack was. Uh, it, it does make a little bit more sense the acquisition than Salesforce buying Twitter uh, for sure. Um, but it, you know, Slack I think is not a business that that comes without its challenges, and, and Salesforce is going to have its work cut out for it. All right, we got to wrap up because I got to do some Cyber Monday shopping. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So then buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. Shows mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.